Last week, I concluded uh, really the series on introducing the Disciple Center. Uh, the purpose of that series, again, was to remind us and reinforce us in, in what we believe and what we're doing, and to provide an explanation to those who want to understand what we're doing, and for several uh, groups that are trying to form their own congregation, somewhat modeling after our Judeo-Christian uh, uh, approach. Um, the, the statement that uh, is the foundation for the series, I want to read one last time uh, to remind you of how this all goes together. The Disciple Center Congregation is a relational, liturgical, and multi-denominational gathering of households in community for mutual worship, discipleship, ministry, and reconciliation. We are Judeo-Christian in theology and practice. We function as a private congregation for the purpose of protecting the integrity of our members and to maintain focus on discipleship. Members of the congregation also participate in public ministry beyond the congregation as an extension of the congregational ministry and in concert with other congregations, ministry organizations, and fellow believers. We also seek to provide witness to the message of God through our lives and activities by intentional living and explaining the good news found in Jesus to the Jew first and also to all people. Uh, I'm, I'm really done with the teaching part of this, although I have a few verses to address today. Today I want to talk a little bit about the next steps uh, in your own discipleship. Where, where do you uh, move from here? Because uh, the tendency... In, in human life is to achieve a level and just kind of stay there. And uh, discipleship is about growing in grace and in knowledge and um, moving on to maturity uh, and unity in that sense. Uh, discipleship is a way of life. <clears throat> we engage in this process as individuals, as households, and as a congregation. And the process is relational in that you can't do it by yourself. And it's developmental in that there is a progress and a process to it that requires spiritual discipline and commitment. The last reading that we had as we uh, came before the Word was for us to provoke one another unto love and good deeds uh, and to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Uh, that verse is often used about going to church, but it's it's more than that. It's about being in each other's lives as a relational uh, community. And the writer to the Hebrews is saying we should do that all the more as we see the day approaching. He's talking about the day of atonement, the second coming, the, the, the fullness of the day of the Lord that, that is coming. As we get closer to that and it gets darker and darker in the world, we are to uh, work even, even more diligently uh, for ourselves and our households, our children, and one another, in the uh, provoking one another, stimulating one another, uh, encouraging one another, motivating one another uh, in that sense. In Matthew chapter 7, I'd like you to turn with me there. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gives a, uh, a teaching at the end of what is called the Sermon on the Mount. And in the, in the process of that, he, uh, he recites words that we are very familiar with. Uh, if you are a memorizer of Scripture, 
or a, a knowledgeable of the scriptures, this this passage is certainly one that you have known, sung about, or or talked about. Uh, in verse uh, 24 of chapter 7, he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, notice both the hearing and the doing, uh, he will be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them, so the hearing is there, but the doing is not there, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and it fell and great was its fall. And when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, probably most of them not doing, uh, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Uh, Jesus makes it really clear that his teachings are about life. Now, this verse, these verses are often used in Christianity to talk about eternal life. But they're not talking about eternal life. Eternal life is certainly here. It's talking about life. It's talking about every day, get up and go to work, face the kids, face the traffic, face the boss, face the problems of life. This creation is coming apart. Everything comes apart. Everything needs to be fixed. It's great that... We have no handle on the front of the church today. There's always a need to fix something, right? And that process is the rains and the floods and the winds. In both cases, whether you hear the word and do it, or you just hear the word, the storm is coming. And uh, some of us get through some easy times, and then the big storm hits, and we've been lulled into a false sense of security. Other people have... The storm's happening uh, early and they're enough to warn them and then they become diligent. But we're all lazy, you know, little tremor, little earthquake, and we're all down at Home Depot buying stuff. And we, have, we start working towards a plan for when the big one hits. And then a day or two goes by, a week goes by, there's things to do, people to see, jobs to do. And the stuff is sitting in the garage under a pile that once the earthquake hits, you'll never be able to find it, right? Then there's a shake and back, we're back to it again. That's human nature. Human nature is to hear the word of the Lord and then kind of forget it. And say, well, I did it for a couple of days, that's good. And then we fall apart again. And the, the reality is that Jesus said, uh, life is going to have storms in it. Uh, in fact, the book of Ecclesiastes says, life has more storms than good days. Um, that's a little difficult for us. Uh, we live in such a, a time when most of our difficulties are, are relatively minor compared to his, historical difficulties of life and other areas of the world. And so it's easy for us to have a false sense that we're doing okay. But the reality is we have been clearly warned 
that we should take the words of the Master and the teachings of God and apply it to our lives, apply it to our lives, apply it to our lives, make it as habitual as we can, remind and reinforce each other and our children, pressing it upon them so that they will be prepared as well. Uh, But we don't often do that. We are prone to foolishness. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Or at least there is no clear word from God warning us about what we do. That foolishness is part of our makeup. I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 2. I'm going to do four verses and then I'll be as practical as I can. Uh, Think of this sermon as the invitation for the series that we've had. In Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 41, this is at Pentecost, and it's really the beginning of the uh, Yeshua communities, if you will, the, the believers within Judaism that will later add Gentiles who begin to form congregations. Uh, at this point, congregations near and around the temple involving both the temple worship and the synagogue worship. It says, so those... Uh, who received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. This is not a small group. Uh, it, is, uh, it is a significant number of people who have to congregate. Who have to uh, figure out how to live in community. Now I don't believe they lived as 3,000 in a community. I think they lived in smaller uh, neighborhood communities uh, of joint households. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, that is, interacting with one another, to the breaking of be- bread, the eating together, and to prayer. Some people think that was the uh, Lord's Supper. I think it's too early for that to have established itself as often as uh, it would later in, in church history. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles as the community is being established. And all those who believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. So tzedakah is going on in this context. Day by day, continually, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, um, even those who didn't believe. Uh, And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. We We get just a glimpse of this communal life, this relational um, structure and, and the the people who believed were Pharisees and Sadducees and zealots and and uh, you know tax collectors and people who were outcasts. They they came from every so-called denominational of Jewry, uh, denominational structure uh, of the Jews at the time. Uh, so they were a relational, liturgical, multi-generational fellowship that gathered together uh, for the purpose of. Uh, stimulating one another, rejoicing in the kingdom about to come, and to uh, worship the Lord and to interact with one another in community. That, that doing of the word is a critical part of 
being a disciple. So one last passage before I uh, talk about things in a more practical way. James chapter 1. All of these passages are passages you know well. Uh, I'm not trying to teach you anything new. I'm trying to get us to go from hearing to doing, which is always the struggle. Always the struggle. Hearing to doing. Um, James 1 verse 21. Therefore put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, a person Jesus calls a fool, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect Torah, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. And if anyone thinks himself to be religious, in other words, a doer of the word, and yet does not bridle his own tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. I hate this verse. Wouldn't it be nice if I just had to believe and do, and I could say whatever I want? But God wants to transform the heart and the tongue and the behavior, and, and the tongue is a serious problem. And if any of you have tried during Lent to work on the tongue, as some of us have tried over the last several years, you know that the tongue is a rebellious member of the body. That uh, as soon as you try to control it, it it goes crazy on you. So it's not me, it's my tongue, right? <laughs> Out of the heart, the mouth speak. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, to care for those who have need, and to keep oneself unstained by the world, to to maintain holiness and separation. The Disciple Center is a center that's founded on participatory discipleship. That's why our name is Disciple Center, House of Disciples. And we do everything we can, we, uh, everything we think about doing, whatever we put together is always done with the idea of making a person active in discipleship. And we even go so far as to try to be intolerant of those who just want to watch or coast by doing the minimal. Uh, from time to time I've done the maybe you should go somewhere else sermon. Uh, Certainly early, I did a lot of those. I've done less of those of late. Uh, You know the story in most congregations. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And most of the people just come and watch and criticize. And we have tried to avoid that 80% by saying, if you come here, you have to participate. If you come here, you have to commit. We commit to one another every year at... at, uh, 
at Pentecost. And we, we struggle with how to do that. Um, and so, to, to a large extent, uh, we work very hard to make it difficult to just sit and watch. Though it's possible to do that, even at the Disciple Center. Um, in some sense, uh, we have built into the system items that provoke you, uh, even though we should be provoking one another. So, we use Lent as a time to return to a greater function of our spiritual disciplines. And during that time, people give things up for Lent and struggle with the spiritual disciplines and try to, try to you know, get back in the habit of things as we move towards Holy Week and towards Passover and think about the season of the cross and dying to self and taking up our cross. That's really when, as individuals, we struggle uh, largely with our own, our own disciplines. We use the month of Elul and, and the days of awe in the fall, moving up towards uh, Yom Kippur to, to struggle with relational stuff. Uh, cleaning up relationships, and if we've wronged people, trying to make restitution, and our spiritual report card, trying to assess how we're doing in relationship to other people, um, so that we begin to uh, focus on judgment and what what uh, that will be like for us. We engage in an active liturgy uh, that requires members to get up and read and pray. Uh, instead of having people just do it for you, uh, so that you are you are here participating, you are praying, you are testifying, you are singing, you are you are reading, you are standing, you are responding to to the biblical text. All of that meant to make you a participant in um, in discipleship. We give access to the lectionary uh, through the readings each week. So that all of our members have at least the opportunity to be reading the same text that synagogues are reading all over the world and reading the same text that Christian churches all over the world are reading. So that we are in the Word at the same place and we are aware of a broader context of, uh, of the, the Jewish and Christian faiths. We, we also uh, uh, encourage our members to participate in ways that have them in touch with members of other congregations. So, so we work really hard at that, but we can't do the discipleship for you. And we certainly can't disciple your children for you. At some point, each of us, before God, has to be accountable for the level of participation that we engage in in our faith. And we live in a world and in a time in this world where it's easy to compartmentalize the faith. It's easy to move it to just one day a week. It's easy to, to just kind of put it on the back burner while I take care of more significant things. Um, and that is, that's a constant struggle for all of us. We, we all struggle with that. So what I want to do today is remind you of the things that you have to to do. Uh, in, in a sense, this is the gird up your loins talk. Uh, a crazy statement 
that we don't have any clue what that is because as a general rule, we wear clothes that don't work that way. But in the days when you wore a robe and you had a, a rope or something as a belt, maybe even a leather belt, if you were getting ready to, to actually, if you were just walking around, it didn't matter, but if you had to really get moving and you had to uh, get somewhere quick, you reached down and grabbed the backside of that, that robe pulled that thing up and tucked it in your belt and it kind of gave you a little pair of shorts girding up your loins so that you could make haste, get moving. You know, old, old English. <laughs> I don't mean the, the cologne, I mean the language. But the idea is you, you prepared yourself to be productive. You prepared yourself to... To be active, you prepared yourself to be a doer, a doer of the word. So we have to struggle with discipleship at three levels. The individual level, me and my God. The household level, me and my family and those with whom I live, right? And then the congregational level, those with whom I am in community with. And those those levels of discipleship uh, can easily, easily uh, fall apart on us. Uh, and we can kind of figure out the coast rate, the, the minimal level that makes me still feel like I'm okay. Uh, what students say, what students mean when they say, I've come here to get an education. Is this going to be on the test? I've come for an education and is this going to be on the test are incompatible concepts. I sometimes wish people ask, is this going to be in the judgment? Yes. The answer is yes. All of it's going to be in the judgment. Oh, no, no, no. We won't be judged. Oh, yes, we will. We will be judged for every idle word back to the tongue again. We will be judged for how we treat one another. We will give an account, Paul says, for the things done in the body, whether good or evil. Not looking forward to that. Looking forward beyond that to the hope that is there. But uh, I know that there is a big exam. And any of you who have ever taken a major exam, you know the pressure of that. Uh, So... We have to do things personally, we have to do things in our household, and we have to do things congregationally. All three of those levels uh, are the primary place of our faith that then spills out into the rest of our lives. So, I want to ask you a little bit about your present custom regarding your personal walk with the Lord and the spiritual disciplines that we uh, talk about in our catechism and in the thing that we are trying to train our children in. We begin with the scriptures. There is no way to get around the fact that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every word? The genealogies too? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's not about sitting down every week and every day and reading a section so that you can check off, I read through the Bible this year. Uh, 
there was an old Gaither song, I heard you're into the word, but I'm wondering if the word is into you. That's the point. The point is to read the thing and to learn the thing and to understand the thing and to know it, memorize it, get this word into us so that we begin to engage in doing it. So what is your habit? What is your custom with regard to the scriptures? With the reading of the scriptures, with the study of the scriptures, with the reflection on the scriptures, with the memorizing of the scriptures, and with the struggling to add to your behavioral repertoire some behavior that is biblically based. There are certain things that are just matter of habit for me now. Uh, I was walking through the campus and looked down and saw a dollar bill and then looked and saw a wad of dollar bills. Now, I think it was the sociology department doing a, what do people do? Uh, you know, They've been doing some things where they ask students to steal stuff on campus, and the students come back happy that they were able to do it. None of them think to say, we don't do that. So much for being a doer of the word. They're a doer of the assignment. I think that's what it was. But whenever I see money on the ground, I remember that that's not my money. And thou shalt not covet. So I don't pick it up and go, thank you God, you gave me money. Because I'm stealing somebody's money. Whose money is it? I have no idea. But the scripture's clear that you don't steal things. Now you can take it and keep it for them. But you keep it for them at your expense. It's a very interesting notion of doing the word in that sense. So what is your current process and are you more active in getting the word into you and doing the word now than you were? If not, maybe it's time to, you know, stimulate one another unto love and good works in that sense. Secondly, uh, prayer. Prayer is a problem. Now, I have no problem praying when I have a need. You notice that? Something bad happens. Prayer. It's so easy. Let's just do it. Very difficult. I struggle with maintaining times of prayer. I have worked very hard to do that. And I'm about, <clears throat> I'm, I'm about at a 50% level of what I'm trying to, to, to hold as my minimum custom. Very easy for things to get in the way or to forget. Or to get bored because it's the same old prayer. And so I have to struggle with prayers that have historically been in the church or in the sedure. Now, when I talk to other people, they have the same kind of problem, but, but I think it's something we need to work at. Uh, Jesus spent a great deal of time in prayer, and if he needed it, Lord knows we need it. And that prayer involves our worship and our devotional and our praising God and our, our, all of that, and it's, it's something we need to think about. Fasting. And I grew up in a tradition where fasting, the only thing we did about prayer and fasting was pray fast. You know, the, the idea of fasting was, was a difficult process for me. And my learning to fast uh, has been a difficult path. And I reached the point where I at least knew that I wanted to fast on Good Friday and Yom Kippur and, and those kind of things. But the, but the norm of Judaism and Christianity historically has been two days a week. Two days a week? You've got to be kidding me. Even a partial fast. 
I heard somebody this last week talk about, I try to do a partial fast twice a week, and I thought, wow, I wouldn't even think about that. Even though I have an app for Eastern Orthodox, it tells what you're giving up that day, you know. Uh, so the, the methodologies are there, but it's, you know, I've, I'm busy, i got things to do. But the goal of fasting is to tell your appetites, you're not in charge. Dang. Because my appetites are often in charge. And it seems reasonable to meet their need. (laughs) Wow. So what is your level of fasting and what are the times of your fasting and where do you bring your body into subjection? Paul says, I die daily. I die every once in a while. And it's really not... I don't die, I kind of get sick. (laughs) (laughs) And then the stewardships of time. Do we redeem the time for the days are evil or does the time just fill up? I, I, you know, I had that sabbatical. I was amazed how little I could do all day. Wow. Wow. You, you, yeah, you know, when you're forced to do that, you go, man, no, man, I'm tired. What'd you do? Oh, I think I waited for now. <laughs> Waiting is difficult. It's, t- it's tough, you know. There are days that are full and there are days that aren't full. And sometimes the days that are f- not full, you're the most tired. Six days you shall do your work. You know. My tendency is to want to Sabbath six days and work real hard on one day. That's, that's got the emphasis wrong. Redeeming the time for the priority of spiritual things is, is difficult to do. It was a lot easier when I was a paid pastor. Got paid to be a Christian. Uh, I realized that that was a problem and moved away from that. And so I now have an appreciation of what you guys struggle with, trying to be spiritual and hold a job. Because I do that. But that's important to understand what that struggle is so that we can encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Resources. Uh, We are... At the present time, as many of you know, really realigning our resources uh, because of uh, circumstances. And those skills, if not practiced, become very difficult to just do at the last minute. But we are supposed to be stewards of our resources. Relationships. We talked about those today. They're, they're, they're not easy, you know. Uh, And if everybody was exactly like me, probably relationships would not be any easier. You know? And it's sometimes easier to just ignore the relationship than to work on it. Linda's really good at reminding us that we're supposed to work on the relationships. You know? What's wrong with a ceasefire? (laughs) What's wrong with a ceasefire? It's not a relationship. And so that's, that's a struggle. And it's hard to get back in the habit uh, when, you've, when you've pulled away. And that's something we have to work on. 
and our giftedness, knowing what we have been given by God naturally and spiritually to to serve others so that we use our gifts and we appreciate the gifts of others to let them do what they do. All of this is part of my personal struggle with God day in and day out. But that's not the only struggle. I'm not a hermit who lives by himself. Wouldn't that be nice? No, because then I'd have to do everything. So we live in relationship with other people in a household. That household may be a marital household. It may be a household with a lot of kids. It may be a household where the kids have grown up. But either way, we live in, in these household structures. What are we accomplishing spiritually in our home? Is our home marked? Is it clear that our home, our household, is a household of God? Is there a devotional life? Do we have some acknowledgement of holy days in the, in the home? Do we have an altar that's there just for show? Or do we actually use it uh, in prayers? In prayers. And the one that I've realized deeply of late is the teaching and training of children. Having Brenna in our home has reminded me of how much work it is to raise a child in the admonition and nurture of the Lord. <coughs> Thought I was done with that. Thought I was at the Job point, you know. The Job point is where your kids have grown up and they're adults and you do some things just in case they might have not handled it, you know. Uh, you know, because you're a little worried about what you did. But when they're back in there, and she's a little sponge. And she's anxious to do Sabbath. And it's Friday and I'm tired. You know? And she wants to know what God says about this. And it'd be really easy to discourage her in that. And then she'd stop asking. And things would be more peaceful. But we dare not do that. We dare not do that. She's a challenge. Because we just have a few years. And then the world and friends and everything are going to desperately try to take her in a different, in a different way. We have a lot of children in the Disciple Center. It's very easy to think... Well, we're doing okay. Maybe they're in a Christian school. They come to church once in a while. That's not going to cut it. There was a time when that would have cut it. Because this culture was so reinforcing of Christianity that even unbelievers had drunk enough of our Kool-Aid to, 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 to follow that. But that's not the world out there anymore. And I... Dread the day when some parent wants us to confirm their kid who's not confirmable. Because they coasted. And nothing was going on at home. And there's only an hour or two a week here. That's not going to cut it. And the kid has the same lax attitude that the parents have. The parents just know how to use the words better. The primary place of living our faith, especially with children present, is in the home. And I'm realizing that we need to, we need to step up 
that in our household, uh, not only for ourselves, but certainly for Brenna as she's there. And then the congregation. Probably with the exception of the period of time when I was healing from my rebellion and we interacted with a group of disciples who were uh, really struggling with being doers of the word. Uh, many who have remained friends, some who are now with the Lord. Uh, but, a, but a brief shining moment of kingdom Camelot thinking in my life. Uh, other than that period, I think you as a congregation have been the closest thing to the outpost of the kingdom of heaven I've ever been a part of. And I participate here because it's good for me to do so as a steward of who I am. But it's really easy for me to take over and cover everything so that you can do less. At some point, I'm hoping the day will come when Trevor won't and Jeff won't have to ask people to read and pray. We'll be telling people there's no room. Because you have decided that part of your commitment is to make sure that once a month, once a quarter, uh, once in a, a holy day season, you're going to read a text and you're going to experience reading one of each of those all the way through, including the opening of the ark. Because your children need to see you do that so that they will aspire to it themselves. Giving testimonies and singing is, is an important thing. And, and we, giving a testimony is not just come up with it as you're thinking. We should be thinking about what God's doing and prepared to say it. And maybe, you know, maybe we need to tweet it. Because we can, we can you know, find our way through a testimony in, in that. I'm not talking about today. I'm talking about general. We, there, you know, we, we, can, we can make testimonies that are almost, almost made up or very weak. And the children are watching that and they learn it. Oh, anything can be a testimony. Anything can be a prayer request. Being serious about what we're doing, actively participating, is an important thing. The messages are available when you're not here to, to stay current with what we're talking about. The Q&As are used for the purpose of getting clarification and making use of those things uh, can be helpful. Participating with other households, eating with them, having them in your house, being in their house, interacting and fellowshipping, very important part of who we are because the issue is we need to know each other well so that when somebody is talking about a situation in their life, we go, really? I didn't know that was going on. And picking up the burden of the community. Uh, this place 
is what we share for the worship of God. And so treating it as if we are each responsible for what goes on here and, and, and maintaining it and taking care of it and doing things, there's always things that need to be done, is, is an important part of, of stewardship as a community of faith. And then finally, connecting the DC to other believers. Having relationships beyond this congregation with other congregations and with other believers of all ilk of Judaism and Christianity so that they know us and we know them. I was overwhelmed when Braden was so sick and we would call out for prayer and prayers came from virtually all over the world. And from people from every tradition. And when uh, the Lord took him home, there were people from virtually every sect and group of Judaism and Christianity who ministered to us in some way. Because relationships, uh, not only that I had and my family had with people, but relationships that you had with people that connected them to us. So that in the darkest hours of our grief, the Lord was present through his people. People say, where is your God when that happens? He was all over the place. His hands and his feet and his, his, his voice was everywhere. We can't wait for the crisis to happen to build those relationships we need to be building in. All alone. And we need to teach that to our children because there will be a time when we can't do it. I can do a lot less than I used to be able to do. Don't have the energy, don't have the memory. <laughs> uh, my get up and go got up and went, you know. And I don't know what to do with that. But the body will continue. As the new generation comes into place. If we are faithful to hand them the baton and fully train them. And you know most of us have felt inadequate in this process. The only way our children and our grandchildren are going to feel more adequate. Is if we figure out a way to give them more than we had. Not less than we had. And certainly not for them to want to do just the minimum below what they think us that we are doing. So the Disciple Center is a lab. It's an experiment. It's a, it's a struggle with struggling with God and struggling with one another. Uh, I think it's a good laboratory to be in. Okay, if I'm going to be a caged rat, being a rat with you guys is a good, good one to be. Um, I've been able to be authentically me in, in a deeper way than I've ever been in a congregation. Um, I've been free to struggle with this faith uh, with you and, uh, you know, in, in the context of your families. Um, to watch these little ones have a potential so far beyond what many of us thought we would ever see is fantastic.
but the work's not over. And if this concept is going to survive, it's going to survive because we are all committed to do it, to do just a little more. I don't mean for the sake of the reputation of the Disciple Center. Who cares? I have always believed that what's important is not that somebody says, ooh, the Disciple Center, do you know what they're doing? Do you know who their pastor is? That would be absurd. But if people say the Disciple Center, those people know God and follow Him. That is the reputation. Their God is God and He's a good God. That is the reputation that we're seeking. Not our own, but the one who called us to Himself. The one before whom we stand. So, In the days and the weeks to come, life is going to get in our way. It always does. Some of us will will have our loins girded and we'll be moving forward. And others will be going, "Uh, can we sit down a second? You know? And we're going to have to carry one another and encourage one another and help one another uh, as we have done. And all the more as we see the day approaching, as the scripture says. And I believe that we'll do it. And I'm hoping that it will be done in a way that we feel joyous about it. Not always feeling great about it, but knowing that we are doing the right thing. Because we are loving God, we are loving our neighbor, and we are loving one another. We are manifesting holiness and righteousness and unity. So that God will be glorified And that at the judgment, we will hear said, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's pray.